When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, September 29th. The race is on to the year-end finals in both Turin for the men, Guadalajara for the women. In particular, the women's race is heating up this week. We've got another WTA 500-level event, this time in Chicago. I will say, and it's worth noting, I'm biased. I grew up in southeast Michigan. You play a ton of kids from Chicago. You grow up in that circle, but it's super exciting to see pro tennis find a home in Chicago. It's been so fun to see multiple women's events there over the course of this North American hardcourt summer, and I will say I am fascinated to see how these top women's pros handle a Midwest fall. It gets windy out there, and it gets dark 5 p.m., 6 p.m., cools down by about 10, 15 degrees. I love those conditions. To me, when I think fall, I think high school tennis season, some of my fondest memories. And so I am fascinated to see how some of these top players in the world compete in these new conditions. Of course, it's worth noting we've got eight players in the top 20 of the WTA points race competing in Chicago. Eight top 20 players in the points race competing in post-U.S. Open action. Of course, we've got Indian Wells on the horizon as well. The race to Guadalajara is wide open, and of course, we learned no Ashley Barty in Indian Wells, no Naomi Osaka there either. Very unlikely either of them plays the event in Guadalajara. Right now, Barbara Krejcikova, Arena Sabalenka, and Karolina Pliskova have all clinched their spots. Outside of that, You've really got about 10, 15 players competing for those final five places in the year-end championship. So it is not a surprise. Well, it's slightly a surprise, but it's super exciting to see all these players taking that race seriously, competing here in Chicago, getting ready, of course, to compete in Indian Wells next week as well. It's a really fun time to be a fan of the WTA Tour. Of course, you've also got the action in Nur Sultan this week for the women, for the men. They're taking place in an inaugural event in San Diego. That's another community I know that has always had a special place in its heart for tennis, and I know how excited that San Diego community is to get an ATP event back on the schedule. Of course, you could see in the crowds they put together for an ATP 250 first-round Monday night match. The crowds for hometown kids, Brandon Nakashima, Taylor Fritz, were electric, and so it's so fun to see a new community get the chance to embrace professional tennis. I do think both Chicago, San Diego will be playing players on the pro circuit moving forward. But of course, it's not just the action uh, in San Diego this week for the men. They've also got another 250 taking place over in Bulgaria, the Sofia Open. You've got 
got top seed Yannick Sinner uh, looking to defend a title there. You've got number two seed Gael Monfils, three seed Alex Dimonauer trying to find some form going down the season's home stretch and a bunch of other fun players in the draw. So I want to break down all of those tour-level events for you on today's show. Of course, it's not going to shock any of you to learn five more challengers on the schedule this week. Four really fun ITF events I want to bring to all of your attention as well. That's the plan for today's podcast, as always, here in the week, uh, here early in the week, excuse me, just set the scene for all of you listeners so you know what you should be watching for, what to set your schedule for moving forward. But of course, before I can get into any of that, I do want to remind all of you listeners that the reason these podcasts are made possible day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you because of the support we get from our Crack Rackets Patreon family and, of course, because of the support we get from our friends over at Tennis Point, Best Equipment, Best Prices, Tennis Dash Point, the symbol, not the spelling, Tennis Dash Point.com. The promo code is CR15. You all know all the juicy details. I won't regale them to you all again, but needless to say, Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. We are so grateful for their support. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. I think I said it enough times in a 30-second span for you guys to get the message. So with that in mind, let's talk about this week's action happening across the professional tennis world. Of course, let's start with that WTA 500 in Chicago. You just look at the field before we even get into any of the individual matchups, before we get into any of the results we've seen unfold thus far. Each of your top 16 seeds in Chicago is a top 50 player. That speaks to the quality of this field. It's a 500-level event, and of course, we saw a similar field in Ostrava last week. But what's so fascinating is how many of the players hopped on that jet from Ostrava, flew straight over here to get back into this North American action. We see Belinda Bencic in the draw. We see Annette Conteve in the draw, although I will say when I'm recording this, I've learned she's withdrawn from her second-round match. You can understand for her coming off of a title last week. It's a lot of tennis on her body, a lot of travel Indian Wells still on the horizon. Annette Conteve has played herself into the year-end finals conversation, doesn't want to blow a tire with big events still on the calendar, so you can understand her decision there. But again, so many top players flying over to immediately play this event, and so many players uh, we see choosing to stay in North America, whether it was Svitolina, whether it was Garbine Muguruza, who we saw last week in Wisconsin watching the Ryder Cup, supporting her fellow Spaniards in that effort. She's the number two seed, and she obviously has the WTA Tour Finals on her mind. You look for Garbine Muguruza right now in the race. Well, I'll just say who's playing and where they're at in the race. So Muguruza right now, she's eighth. And of course, this is including Barty. This is including Osaka right now. Muguruza, eighth. She's at 27-26 in terms of points. You look at ninth in that race, Elisa Mertens, she's competing in this event. Own Jabour, 10th, she's competing in this event. Anastasia Pavlochenkova, 11th, she's competing in this event. You've got 13th, Alina Svitolina, she's competing in this event. 15th, Jessica Pagula, she's competing in this event. Of course, Annette Conteve was competing in the event. Belinda Bencic is competing in the event. Eight players in the top 20 of the points race competing this week. You've also got players like Danielle Collins, who's 24th, Kudermatova, 26th, Rybakina, 27th. You had Zdancic at 28th, Teichman, Georgie, Azarenka, Andrescu, Von Drusova, Shelby Rogers, uh, Teresa Martinsova, who obviously recently had a very good run uh, on her way, I want to say semifinals, a couple of weeks ago. 
it's a loaded field from top to bottom, and you just look across the board, the matchups we're going to have early on in this tournament. I think we are all excited for number eight seed Bianca Andrescu, who is defending Indian Wells title points at Indian Wells this season. She's got a really tough first round matchup in Chicago. She's going to take on Shelby Rogers, the big hitting Rogers, a two and one victory in her first round match over qualifier Lizette Cabrera. Look, that's a tricky battle. Rogers was a quarterfinalist this year in Australia. Rogers knocked out Ashley Barty at the U.S. Open this season. We know what she's capable of when that first serve is landing, when her power tennis is landing. And we all know Bianca Andreescu is capable of as well, finalist in Miami. Now, wasn't really able to find her rhythm anywhere else this season. But, you know, again, we know what she's capable of. We know when the lights are brightest, when it's crunch time, we usually get to see the best of Bianca Andreescu. So I think that's a really fun section of the draw. Of course, yesterday was an awesome straight set victory for Garbine Muguruza over Ann Lee. Boy, does the Young American League go after that forehand. I know I tweeted this out, but you look uh, for Ann Lee, who, by the way, uh, probably the least heralded of the super talented American juniors. You look for Ann Lee, 67th right now in the live rankings, 21 years old I mean she's won two-thirds of her matches this season and you know she was she was a top seed last weekend at the 125k in Columbus made the semifinals there gets a win here before getting knocked out by Muguruza I mean there's a lot to like about her game her ability to take that backhand and take every ball early on the rise I think she moves well not extraordinarily well but well and she doesn't have the most overwhelming size but her ability to take that ball early and her contact point the pop she's able to produce it makes up for that lack of elite size there's a lot to like about Ann Lee's game but again that was the best I'd seen Garbine Muguruza play in a healthy amount of time. You look for Muguruza yesterday in her uh, victory o- again over Anley. I believe in the end it was yeah, a 6-4, 6-4 victory in that round of 32 match for Muguruza. I thought she served outstanding, and she made uh, 73% of her first serves, won 69% of those points, was 8 of 18 on second serve points, but you know, again, only had to play 18 for the match, four of six on uh, saving break point chances. I thought she did a really good job of being aggressive in those baseline rallies, of using the pace of Ann Lee, using her size, redirecting, and just using her strength. Making that match a physical battle was really impressive for Garbine Muguruza to advance to the round of 16. Of course, you look elsewhere now uh, in yesterday's matches for Danielle Collins, who has been excellent. It's worth remembering just how good Danielle Collins has been uh, since the end of Wimbledon. You look for her run, obviously, uh, through San Jose, where she's able to win the title there. And for her in that run to the San Jose title, gets win over an informed Stevens, Shelby Rogers, who goes on to beat party at the U.S. Open, beats Rabakina, beats Konya, beats Kasatkina. You look for her the week before. It was a title run in Palermo, a title for her on the clay. I believe it was her first WTA title. She made the semifinals in Budapest before then. She's 33 and 12 in her last 52 weeks, 33 and 12 overall here in the 2021 season. She's been outstanding and she's currently ranked number 23. But again, you look for Danielle Collins in the points race. She's currently 24th. Uh, yeah, that's you look for her in terms of, you know, the advanced metrics via ELO ratings. Danielle Collins 19th in terms of her more recent results reflected in the 2021 specific ELO ratings. They have Danielle Collins as the ninth best player in terms of form. Danielle Collins right now one of nine players to rank top 20 in both hold percentage and break percentage over the last 52 weeks on. On the WTA Tour. It was a tricky win for her 
to come back from a set down to Misaki Doya. Ultimately, she earns the 4-6-6-3-7-5 victory, found her rhythm as a serve, and of course, Doi, tricky lefty, just, you know, threw Collins into the outer thirds of the court. A lot of short angles, a lot of getting Collins stretch, forcing her to go from, for broke from there, and she just wasn't able to do it that successfully uh, to start the match, but again, she worked her way through, and uh, it, it was really, really impressive for her uh, to continue to see, uh, you know, again, her... Uh, it was impressive to see her come back, continue to see her uh, carry her form, uh, and again, get through with that confidence to earn the three-set victory. You look at your other results thus far. It was a good day for the seeds in Chicago yesterday. Own Jabour, 46-minute, 6-1-6 victory over Suwei C. She was rocking. It's just worth remembering how good uh, Own Jabour has been this season. You look overall 40-15. and 15. Board. I believe she's second in terms of total wins behind Barty and Krejcikova. Or excuse me, ty- uh, she's fourth behind Sabalenka, Barty, and Krejcikova. She is one of four players to rank top 15 in both hold and break percentage over a 52-week span. She's been one of the breakthrough players. Uh, you know, in a krejcikova list season, Jabour would maybe be 1A in terms of breakthrough players here. In 2021, just worth remembering, she's found her form absolutely can qualify for the year-end finals. You also had wins yesterday from Azarenka. Mertens in straight sets for Mertens. One and three over Diana Yastremska was particularly impressive. You got a win from Jill Teichman, six and five, over Fort Worth Futures champion Kai Kanepi, who comes right from there to play this event in Chicago. You got a win from Tamara Zidanzik as well. Your only seed upset on the day, Camilla Georgie knocked out 6-4-6-2 by an inform Elena Gabriela Russa. Of course, elsewhere it was Anisimova, Martinsova, Dart, Lynette and Baptiste earning victories on the day. That sets up, again, today's Day 5 action. I think I'm going to do a podcast later tonight as well. Uh, but you look at the winners on the day, or the matchups on the day, Svitolina versus Anisimova, Teichman versus Lynette, Kudermatova versus Dard, Zidanzik, Martinsova, Rusa Kozlova, Rabakina gets started against Sasnovic, Bencic gets started against Inglis as well. So you've got some back half. Round of 32 matches for what is shaping up to be a very, very exciting round of 16 against and already you've got Vika going to be taking on, or excuse me, now Vika, uh, did she play today? She might play today. But the fact that the winner of that, it could be Vika Muguruza in the round of 16. We could get another Pagula Jabur battle. We could get ourselves a little Kudermatova Rabakina battle, some Mertens Collins action, Pavlichenkova taking on Teichman. Those are your projected round of 16 matches. Those would be super, super fun. And of course, you look at Tennis Abstracts projections. Uh, uh, for this event, they have the favorite right now, slight favorite, Garbine Muguruza. They give her a 15.5% chance of winning this event. Second is Svitolina, 12.1% chance, but again, it's thin margins across the board. Own Jabour, 9.9. Belinda Bencic, 9.8. You get a 9% chance for Vika, 8.7 for Mertens. So you've got, what, six, seven players all lumped within a 7% range. They think this event is wide open. They expect parity down the home stretch. That's been the story of the 2021 WTA season. So I do not expect Chicago to differ at all. But again, should be a very, very fun event and with significant implications for the year-end finals. Of course, that is one of two events on the week. You've also got the action happening over in Nur Sultan, the Astana Open. We have reached, I believe, uh, the round of 16 stage. And right now, indeed, we have, you look across the board, your top 
three seeds all still alive entering the round of 16. You've got Yulia Putin-Seva, who's going to take on Lapko. You've got Ali Van Utvenik going to take on Friedsum. You've got Kiki Mladenovic going to take on, I continue to say it, the always dangerous Anastasia Potapova, the young Russian former world junior number one. I'm just saying if she beats Mladenovic tomorrow, I mean, Mladenovic is suspect to upsets frequently, but if she beats Mladenovic on Wednesday, excuse me, I don't think that's going to surprise anyone. You look up and down the board, uh, Krunik going to take on Yuvon, Kai Yuvon, one of the players I have circled as a potential breakout 2022 candidate on the WTA Tour. That's a very winnable match for her against Krunik. You've got Gracheva taking on Serenko, Clara Burel, another talented young French woman, taking on Kristein, Pedersen Diaz, and then Anna Cohn number five seed. This is a winnable tournament for Anaconia. She's going to take on Gasanova tomorrow. That's going to be a tricky one, though. But, I mean, you look up and down the board. You look at Tennis Abstract. They have Yulia Putin save a significant favorite to give her a 39.4% edge. Ali Van Utvenik, 21.5. They like some Potapova over at Tennis Abstract. They give her a 15.4% chance. That's interesting. That's an interesting data point. I'm telling you, the young Russian is coming. You look for Potapova, turned 20 years old in March, currently ranked 80th. Uh, she's 21 and 20 in her last 52 weeks, uh, 21 and 20 here overall, but you look for her just since the start of the hard court stretch. She qualifies in Montreal, beats Shelby Rogers before having to withdraw against Coco Goff. She qualifies in Ostrava, beats Caroline Garcia, loses in three sets to Petra Kvitova. Now here in Nor Sultan, again, she just comes in with rhythm. I think hard courts are her best surface. You look for her, her best results of the season, third round Australian Open. She beat Ali Risk before losing to Serena in the third round. She made the quarterfinals in Dubai, beat Keys, beat Bencic before getting knocked out by Krejcikova. Keep if it's a hard court event, if it's an indoor hard court as well, like they are in North Sultan, and that court, those courts play particularly slow. But a slow hard court is good for a player like Potapova. Gives her that much more time to set up in the center of the court because Potapova can hit through anyone. And I'm telling you, I really enjoy the game of Anastasia Potapova. She is one to watch this week in Nur Sultan. But again, you look up and down the board in terms of top 50 players in Nur Sultan. You've got uh, Yulia Putin-Seva in terms of top 100 players, Potapova, uh, Rebecca Pedersen. You've also got uh, Hreetman and Clara Burrell, Anaconia, I believe Kiki Mladenovic, obviously, as I mentioned. It's a fun draw. This week in Nur Sultan, and always enjoy uh, those cities that are able to host men's and women's events. Great to see Nur Sultan able to do so. That is your action on the WTA Tour. I talk about it's a race to the year-end finals, that race being on. Just one more update on where things stand in the women's game before we move over to the men's side of the action. You look right now in the race to the year-end final standings. Again, this time I'm going to discount Ashley Barty. I don't think we're going to see her play for the rest of this season. She has clinched a spot, but let's just assume she's out. Uh, that is That means there's now uh, five spots open because Arena Sapolenka, Barbara Krejcikova, Karolina Pliskova, they have all clinched their tickets to Guadalajara. That leaves a race for five spots. That race currently led by Maria Sakri. She's got 3,147 points. She leads eighth place Garbine Muguruza by about 400, oh, I can tell you exactly, 421 points. But more importantly, she leads ninth place Elisa Mertens by about 700 points. You look at that number, it's 709 points total. 
That's a pretty comfortable margin for Maria Sakkari. And she's not playing this week in Chicago, but she's still going to get to play Indian Wells as well. And she's a top 10 player now, which means, you know, from a matchup perspective, you're just going to like her matchup even better than some of the others. And so you feel pretty good about uh, Maria Sakkari's place. You feel like we're definitely going to get to see her at the year-end finals uh, in Guadalajara. Iga Sviantek, 31.06. Again, that's about a 700 point, a little less than that. Let's see, 700 minus 32 is 768 point uh, lead for her over ninth place, Elisa Mertens. If Elisa Mertens is to win the title this week in Chicago, she would get to 28.53. So she would still be trailing by about 250 points for Iga Sviantek. That's not quite, you know, that's not quite in the safety zone because to make up a 250-point gap, and for any of the players, by the way, Mertens, Jabour, Pavlchenkova, who are 9th, 10th, 11th right now in the race, if any of them win Chicago, they trail Iga Sviantek by about 250 points heading into Indian Wells. Because Indian Wells is a 1,000-level event, that is why this race is too close to call. That is why you would argue soccer you feel pretty good about but Sviantek down, so from the sixth well, sixth place, but if you discount Barty, from the fifth place uh, down, there are really four open spots, wide open spots, heading into a 1,000-level event in Indian Wells. And with the Chicago 500 still on the board this weekend, again, Garbin Muguruza, she's the favorite to get one of those final spots. You exclude Osaka, who's not playing Indian Wells, so she will likely get passed by a bunch of these people. She's not playing Chicago either. Uh, you look for Garbine Muguruza. She leads uh, right now by 288 points over ninth place, Elisa Mertens. You look between Elisa and Onjabur, ninth to 10th, that gap is three points. There is a three-point gap between Elisa Mertens and Onjabur in ninth and 10th place. You look for Elisa uh, Mertens to Anastasia Pavlchenkova. It is currently a 53-point gap between Pavlchenkova and Mertens. Again, that's a one-round difference at Indian Wells at Chicago. If Pavlochenkova goes to the quarterfinals, Burtons goes to the round of 16, Pavlochenkova will pass her. You can even move further down the list. Goff, 113 points fewer than Burtons. Svitolina, a little, like 150 points down. Even Radakanu, she's about 200, you know, 150, 200 points down. You go all the way, I would say the end of the realm of possibility is Paula Bedosa Jabert. You look for Bedosa. She's at 2112. That trails uh, Mugu by 614 points. That's a pretty big gap. You know, from there, that's probably where you stop. Now, if a Petra Kvitova wins Indian Wells, she would get to 2,946 points. Layla Fernandez, 2,911. I don't know if that's going to be good enough. I would say that's probably where the line is. I probably stop the line at Paula Bedosa and say players 5 through 19 are all still legitimately in the hunt for those final five, or I would say for those final four spots, excuse me, in the World Tour finals. I give Sakari the bump, but it's really between Sviantek, Muguruza, Mertens, Jabour, Pavlochenkova, a good Indian Wells run from Goff, but not playing Chicago definitely hurts her. Svitolina, Radicanu, Pagula, Conteve, Kerber, Bencic, Bedosa. 13 players still in the hunt, folks. And we've got Chicago this week. We've got Indian Wells next week. Now, of course, it is worth mentioning. I do want to talk quickly about where we are at in terms of uh, the year-end, in terms of, excuse me, the tennis abstract numbers, stats leaderboard, how that's reflected in the results we've seen. 
12 of the 13 players that rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage are still alive for the race of the year on finals. The numbers tell the truth, folks. You look at it right now, top 10 club, Garbine Muguruza. She seems likely to qualify for the end. And by the way, Muguruza, the only one right now, top 10 in both hold and break percentage. Top 15, you get Sviantek, you get Jabour, and then you get Serena Williams. Serena's the outlier in this list, for sure. And it speaks to when she's on court, she's been dominant. And of course, her losses, one was a withdrawal. Were they both withdrawals? The point being, when she's been on court, she's looked good on court. It's just a very small sample size, no doubt about that. But those are your top 15 club. Top 20, you get Barty, Sabalenka, both clinch their spots, Collins, Radicanu, and Maria Sakari. You look at the top 25, Krejcikova, Bedosa, Svitolina, Pavlichenkova, Those are all the names of the players who have either won Grand Slam titles, make Grand Slam finals, been in the mix. Of course, the notably absent Karolina Pliskova, who ranks, I believe it's like 45th or 46th in hold percentage. Osaka's 39th. Mertens ranks 28th in hold percentage. Goff ranks 28th in break percentage. uh, Contave 27th in hold percentage. Just Pagula 48th, I think, in hold percentage. Those are the only players missing probably from those stats leaderboard, the notable outliers. But again, those 13 players who rank top uh, 25 in both hold and break percentage, that list makes sense in the women's game. Those are the players in the mix for the year-end finals. When you're top 25 in both hold and break percentage, you're probably having success on the ATP, uh, on, on the tennis, ATP or WTA tours. Uh, yeah, again, tennis is a sport where you have to use your eyes. The numbers aren't as reflective because it's hard to say forehand effectiveness stat. We haven't nailed that from a percentage standpoint, backhand effectiveness, et cetera, et cetera. But when the stats are confirming what you're seeing with your eyes, they're probably legitimate. And the stats leaderboard, very much reflecting what we're seeing with our eyes unfold on the WTA Tour this season. But again, that's where things stand on the race. That's where things stand with the stats. That's where things are. Heading into this week on the WTA Tour, with that in mind, let's move into the ATP side of things. Let's start with the action in San Diego. We've already had some really fun matches unfold over the course of the week. Brandon Nakashima, 6-7, victory over Fabio Fognini. Of course, Nakashima was so excellent in this North American hardcore stretch, making the final in Los Cabos, making the final in Atlanta as well, then making a run uh, in Washington, making the round of 16 there, getting wins over Dan Evans and Alexi Popper. And of course, it was a disappointing four set, uh, five-set loss for him to Alex Mulcan in the second round of the U.S. Open, although Mulcan's been excellent this season. If you've been following the ATP Challenger Tour, that said, for him to beat Isner in straight sets, then lose to Mulcan in five, certainly that was not something any of us were expecting. But you look for Brandon, he's 83rd in the ATP rankings right now. That's a career high. You look in the live rankings with this win over Fodini, it's a new career high for him of number 79. You look for Nakashima in the points race this season. He's 62nd, and of course, it gets even better for him when you look at the advanced metrics. Brandon Nakashima, 66th in overall ELO, but 50th in terms of 2021 specific form. I mean, he's been excellent this season, 32-20. and 20. He's always gotten the job done on hard courts. We now see that level translate to ATP-level action, and it's just how rock-solid he is on both sides. And I think he becomes better, you know— 
right? I don't want to call him a spot server because that feels like a slight, but he hits his spot so beautifully. And I just think with each match, he hits that spot more powerfully and he hits that spot more accurately. And of course, he takes advantage of every space that's open on the court, changes direction on you. His ability to take that backhand on the rise down the line, that backhand's just special in general. I do think his forehand can be pressured with pace, but I think it's gotten better as well, and I don't think the forehand is a weakness. I don't think it's a glaring hitch. I just think the best of the best will be able to attack his forehand. Guess what? The best of the best can attack everyone, and does that limit his upside? Does that mean maybe he's not going to be a top 10 guy someday? Maybe, but his forehand's still solid, and he changes directions with it so well. He's someone who's gotten so much more comfortable at the net, even within his first two full years of pro tennis. Just you know, a guy who has embraced the challenge of moving forward, even when it didn't look pretty early on in his career, I think the instincts are now there for him at the net. And I think he's got pretty good feel, particularly pulling volleys cross court, which is half the battle. Often you're following that approach shot. You know, they want to hit down the line, beat you to the spot. All you got to do is make that first volley half the time to win the point. Brandon Nakashima has gotten significantly better at just making that first volley. He's been excellent here this season. Again, it's clearly a step forward. He's put himself in a position to be a top 100 player, put himself in a position to no longer worry about Grand Slam qualifying and, you know, put himself in a position to try and now make a push towards the Masters events, right? We said he won two-thirds of his ATP Challenger matches. He won, you know, a Challenger title uh, at the end of last season. He won a Challenger title to start this season. He's now in that phase where he needs to start winning two-thirds of his ATP 250 matches to get himself into the top 50. Now you can start playing Masters events. Now you can set your schedule however you want. Well, he's in the midst of that push, particularly on hard courts. Again, you look for Brandon over his last uh, six hard court events, finals of Los Cabos, finals of Atlanta, round of 16 in Washington, first round loss in Cincinnati to Mackey, that's fine, beats Isner at the U.S. Open before losing to Mulcan, but that's a top 64 result, now beats Fabio Fognini in three sets, gets a matchup with top seed Andre Rublev, a fascinating data point in Nakashima's young career. Brandon's a stud, though, and one of the many, again, 14 Americans in the top 100. Brandon, part of that Brooksby, Corda, next, next generation push. Super exciting. was so fun to see the home crowd embrace a San Diego native as well. Great result for Brandon early on in this tournament. You look at some of the other first-round matches we've seen unfold thus far. No seeds knocked out in the round of 32 yet. Uh, you look across the board. Definitely some three-set battles. Grigor Dimitrov not seeded but tested by the always tricky and physical Marktone Fucevic in the end, Dimitrov 631675, much needed confidence booster for him. Uh, Sebastian Corda, 635761 win over Tommy Paul. Gotta give Corda a ton of credit because Tommy played an excellent, excellent first two sets of tennis in particular. That second set was the best set I'd seen from Tommy in quite a bit of time. Just was locked in from ball one, was hitting aggressively from the baseline and Really tried to target the Sebastian Corda forehand because it at least breaks down occasionally. That backhand does not break down. If you give him time to step into it, he's going to make you pay. But it was Sebastian Corda's one all-service game. Tommy was frisky. I think he had a breakpoint chance, had it at multiple deuces. Corda's able to hold for 2-1, then break Tommy for 3-1, then a tricky service hold again for 4-1. And from there, it was on. And he had that set in hand, gets the double break, and puts Tommy away and again, for Corda, who had to withdraw from his U.S. Open match due to illness. It's a nice victory for him. And obviously, Sebastian Corda has been 
one of the breakthrough players of this 2021 season. You look for Corda now overall on the year, what he's been able to do. Uh, he starts out the season, obviously, by making that final in Delray Beach. He wins a challenger final uh, later on in the month, wins an, his first ATP title on clay in Parma at the end of May as well, goes to Wimbledon, makes the round of 16, beats Hour, beats Dan Evans before getting knocked off in a tricky 10-8. It was an ugly 10-8, but tricky 10-8 fifth set to Karen Hatchinov. Unequivocally, a breakthrough year for Korda, who's 24 and 14 on the ATP Tour level, winning 63% of his matches, has put himself in a position to be top 50 in the ATP rankings, currently number 42, but you look at the live rankings now with his first round win, Korda, up to new career high of number 40, you look in the points race, Sebastian Korda, even higher than that, he currently, I believe, 26th in the points race, of course, the advanced metrics love Korda already, 22nd in overall ELO, he currently currently ranks, I believe, 20th in 2021 specific ELO. He'd be a top 32 club member, top 32 in both hold and break percentage already. So really nice win for Sebastian Cord. Although again, I, I do think Tommy played well, and it's worth noting because Tommy struggled of late, and you look for him overall here in the 2021 season. He's up to number 60 in the live rankings, reached a new career high of number 50, cracked that top 50 for the first time, but 20 and 19 this year. It's been an up-and-down season, and, you know, he has had some successes on the hard courts, qualifies in Canada, gets a win there, qualifies in Cincinnati, gets a three-set win over Christian Green there. But the four-set loss to Carbeas Bain at the U.S. Open, that one hurt. You look for him, you know, in Washington, he loses to Daniel Galan first round. That's a match he's got to be winning. And, you know, some of the other ones he's had over the course of the season, he's come really close in a bunch of different matches, but... Again, close isn't going to cut it, and he's now trying to make that jump from top 75, top 50 range to be comfortably into the top 50, to you know be in that Taylor, Riley, Opelka sort of tier where you don't have to worry about your schedule. You can play whatever you want to play, whenever you want to play. Tommy's not quite there yet. He's close, and again, I thought the level he played against Korda in set number two was was a top 50 level. That was a really fun set of tennis. Just again, Korda got him early in the third. Tommy wasn't able to recover. That was a really fun match early in this event and had the chance to ask Korda some questions after the match. Also had the chance to ask Andy Murray some questions after his 6-3-6-2 victory over Dennis Kudla. Murray just looks more and more comfortable with every passing match. And I mentioned this last time, the hair, flawless right now. Send me to your specialist, my friend. God knows I need it. But perhaps more impressively, over his last four matches, he's won 84% of his first serve points. He just looks more comfortable on court. He seems to have found his rhythm. And I asked him about his serve and the success he's had. You're going to be able to hear that answer from him on our Cracked Interviews podcast later today as part of a From the Presser segment. But... He said, I'm just, I have my match rhythm now. I have my legs back under me. I'm more comfortable playing than I was a few months ago. And you can see that manifest itself with the eye test. Go watch him move to his left. Go watch him hit through backhands when, if you watch that Wimbledon, it was so frustrating if you're a longtime Murray fan, just seeing slice after slice after slice. And maybe you were able to convince yourself, oh, but that's cheeky. That's him being brainy and throwing Ota off of his game and throwing Baslashvili off of his game. Sure, that's the glass half full spin. The glass half empty spin was that he just wasn't capable of getting to that ball, wasn't capable of putting his feet and feeling comfortable to where he could swing through the backhand. And yes, we're back on hard courts, which always helps. 
But now he does look that comfortable, and he's hitting the return more comfortably, and he is willing to suffer through a few more 10 to 15 shot rallies while also still showing that progression on his first serve, an ability to shorten points, take care of the plus one ball, those hands that he's had at the net that have always been better than his amount of time spent at the net would dictate, started to show them off a little bit more. Really good with the first volley. And again, was just better than Kudla at every facet of the game. And that's an impressive feat for an Andy Murray who has been on the precipice of the top 100. And folks, you look at the live rankings right now, Andy Murray currently sitting at number 118. He gets another match win in Cincinnati in the round of 16. He will move up to number 114. I believe he's got to win two more matches here this week. Maybe it's three to get back into the top 100. Anyways, Andy Murray, top 100 watch is on and he belongs back in it. He is playing that well again. It's really, really exciting to watch. I'm not making the Grand Slam pronunciations. I think you guys are crazy if you are out there thinking Murray's going to be number one in the world again. Murray's going to be competing for Grand Slam titles again. Don't set yourself up for disappointment with those expectations. Now, seeing Andy Murray at Masters events, first of all, he'll get a wild card into anything he wants to play. He's Andy freaking Murray. He puts butts in seats. He's one of six players, maybe, who like would get a wild card, and there would be no wild card backlash on tennis Twitter. I mean, let's name that six right now. Here's a tangent for you. Federer gets a wild card. God willing, there will be the fan out there, the Djokovic fan, the Nadal fan, the Salty fan. Sorry to call you out, Djokovic and Nadal fans. You guys actually wouldn't do it. First of all, I don't – any listeners of this podcast who may be Djokovic fans, who may be Nadal fans, may be Federer fans, you're not those Nadal, Djokovic, or Federer fans who are the, I will say, blow up your DMs and make you feel a little worse about yourself sort of fans. That's not you guys. I know that. And I apologize if I – impose or if I projected any of those values onto any of you anyways all that is to say leave all of that in West off by the way but um, all of that is to say when you look uh, for you know the six like Federer wild card Nadal doesn't need him but if he got you know Serena wild card into anything she wants to play Murray gets a wild card into anything he wants to play I'm just trying to think of the players who are eligible to receive wild cards who people will be like oh yeah that's no issue is it just those three Murray, Roger, Serena, like maybe, maybe those might be the only three to whom no one would argue. I don't know. Let me know if there are any other players. And let's be clear. They have to be able to get a wild card. Like if Djokovic forgot to sign up and got a wild card, that doesn't count because he would get into any event he'd want to play right now. But it's got to be someone who wouldn't get into any event they want to play right now. And I think Federer could still on his ranking anyways. That's a discussion for another time. But um, it's got to be someone like that who would qualify. Like Oh, I need another good example. I mean, if Ilo, Ivo Karlovic was like, I would like to play one more ATP Tour event and some random – I mean, if Indian Wells – I guess that's not random – gave him a wild card and were like, we will let you play one last Masters 1000, would people be okay with that? I think so. Like, I think Dr. Evo, it would be – that might be the example. It might be okay with that. So, again, who are the players who could get wild cards and it would be okay? At Great Shot Pod, let me know. All of that said – Really nice result from wildcard Andy Murray in this event, 6-3-6-2. Over Dennis Kudla, you look at the other results we've seen thus far. Diego Schwartzman, Lorenzo Sinego taking care of business. Straight set wins over Federico Gayo, Nicolas Basilishvili, respectively. You also had a straight set win, impressive, from Taylor Fritz. Look, his fitness has gotten better. No one is going to confuse Taylor Fritz for fleet of foot. But you can say he is fine. It's not good. It's not great. It's fine. 
he uses his length now. He gets to that ball, and he's at a point now where he's there quick enough where he and his length, he can swing through that ball in the outer thirds instead of just hitting some floating slice that's going to get volleyed back in the open court for a winner because Taylor's not going to track that down. And just, again, he's always had exceptional hands from the baseline, not the most comfortable volleyer, but he continues to force himself forward and has gotten better at it. Still wouldn't say he's good, you know. Again, no one's going to confuse him for Pete Sampras up there at the net either, but He's gotten better at all of the all of the all the vulnerabilities, all the weaknesses in his game. He really has improved, and so for Taylor Fritz, four and six over Salvatore Caruso, that was an impressive win for him again, particularly with the pressure Caruso was applying. You also had three set victory from Lloyd Harris over Chris Eubanks, Aslan Kartsev straight sets over Del Bonis. Uh, you had a win from Cam Norrie, two and five over Dom Kopfer. That's a battle of former number ones in the nation in college. Kopfer at Tulane, Norrie at TCU. Kopfer actually served for that second set against Nori. Nori able to get that break, end up closing out the match. And again, it's been a breakthrough season for Cam Nori. Just when you have that confidence, things start to go your way. So good victory for him over Kofer. You look at the rest of the draw again. Rublev, your top seed, he's going to take on Nakashima. Your number two seed, Kasper Ruud. He now gets the Andy Murray matchup. Number three seed, Felix Oshir Aliasim going to take on Grigor Dimitrov. Fourth seed, Denis Shepovalov gets the Taylor Fritz test. You've also got some fun matchups today. Dan Evans taking on Hubie Hercots. Fifth seed, uh, taking on, excuse me, Kevin Anderson. Fifth seed, Hubie Hercots, your champion last week at in, at the Moselle Open, taking on qualifier Alex Bolt in his first round match. Round of 16 set to get underway shortly as well. So should be a fun Wednesday. And again, I'm on press row, so look for from the press segments talking to these players in San Diego throughout the course of the week you look at the projections right now tennis abstract Andre Rublev the heavy favorite according to the singles forecast he's a 29.2 percent favorite next would be Hubi Hercots 9.3 percent FAA 8.3 percent they actually have Corda at 7.2 before they get to Kasparud, 6.9%. That speaks to the lack of hardcourt success for Kasparud. That's actually fascinating that they give Sebastian Korda a better percent. They would have Korda beating Rude, according to the Tennis Abstract forecast. That's fascinating. That is an interesting data point, folks. Um, but anyways... We'll explore that at a different time, I suppose. Maybe that'll be a match of the day if it happens for our Cracked Rackets Patreon family. But again, that's where things stand in San Diego. Of course, you look at the action happening this week in Sofia. You've got another ATP 250 event on hand. You've got uh, top seed Yannick Sinner looking to defend the title. That's always a fun task for an ATP, a young ATP player for the first time. He's going to take on Igor Gerasimov in his first round match. You've got the two seed Gael Monfils. He's going to be an underdog against Ilya Ivashka. Ivashka, you know, has won his first title in Winston-Salem. I think it's like five quarterfinals in his last six events. And Look, he's been outstanding. Ilya Ivashka right now, a top 20 club member. He is one of only six players on the ATP Tour who rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. It's Medvedev, Djokovic, Ruud, Zverev, Nadal, Ivashka. What a list. What a list for Ilya Ivashka. He's going to take on Gael Monfils. Of course, you've also got in uh, number three seed Alex Diemenauer. He's going to have a tricky battle with Marcos Giron, who, by the way, Giron, 12-6 and six in first-round matches this year at the ATP level. That's how you pay the bills. That's how you get top 75, which is where he's at. Given their recent forms, is he the favorite over Diemenauer? I believe he just beat Diemenauer uh, last week. So, again, tricky, tricky matchup 
for Alex Dimonau or to kick off his campaign. Your number four seed withdrew from the event. Lucky loser Camille Matrizak taking his place. He's going to take on uh, Kuzmanov. You've also got Jure uh, Krajinovic. Pair knocked out the seventh seed, Davidovich Fokina. He's now going to take on last week's finalist in Nur Sultan. The Duck, James Duckworth, who earned an impressive three-set victory over Emil Rusavori. But again, should be a fun week of action in uh, Sofia. You look at the Tennis Abstract Forecast Center, a significant favorite, 31.5% chance they give him to win the tournament. They've then got a 16.9% chance for Ilya Ivashka. As expected, the number is going to love his performance of late. Next, you get to Philip Krajinovic, 10%. Gael Monfils, 9.1%. But again, they feel like it's Sinner. Big drop, Ivashka. Big drop, rest of the field. Given the recent form, hard to say I disagree. But those are your two ATP Tour level events this week. Of course, quickly, and this will be much quicker than for the women because there's just not that much to update in terms of the year-end race for the men. The field, I don't want to say it's set. But you know the big players are already going to be there. You look up and down the board, Djokovic, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Zverev. They've all clinched their spots. You look, Andre Rublev, he's 730 points away, but he is over 1,000 points right now ahead of eighth place. Uh, well, we're going to remove Nadal from the equation since he's done from the year. He is over 1,000 points ahead, 14, uh, 1325 plus... Four, 1335 points ahead, I believe, right now. Uh, excuse me, 1355 points ahead of eighth place Casper Ruud. He's over 1700 points ahead, 1710 of ninth place Felix Ogier Aliasim. Andre Rublev, he said. Matteo Berrettini only trails Andre Rublev by about 88 points, 75 points, excuse me. So yeah, Matteo Berrettini set as well. You can just lock Matteo Berrettini. You know, those, we know our first six. Now, the race for seven and eight is certainly interesting. Hubi Hercots right now has about, I believe it's a 80-point lead on eighth place, Kasper Ruud. He's also got a 435-point lead on FAA. You look at the gap between FAA, uh, excuse me, between Hercots and 12th place, Aslan Karatsev. Hercots 27.55, Karatsev 19.15. Again, that's an 840-point gap. Those are really your last five competing for those final two spots. Hercots, Rude, FAA, Sinner, Karatsev, maybe Kareno Busta really in the mix for those final two spots. You look at uh, the Tennis Abstract stats leaderboard. And again, by the way, that that field feels correct since we're not going to have Nadal. Djokovic, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Virev, Rublev, Berrettini, those have been your six best players who are going to, who are willing to play this event. Nadal would be seventh and he'd be in if we, you know, if he had played more this season uh, and it would be in the mix if he wanted to play Indian Wells, but he's done for the year. And so he is out. Those six guys making the field makes sense, indicative of the generational shift that it makes sense that we have the, you know, the core five or whatever we're going to start calling it. We, you know, we'll, we'll do that on a different time. We already did that conversation with Gil Gross. Point being, that's where we're at in the points race in terms of the tennis abstract stats leaderboard right now. Your only guys top 10 in both hold and break percentage are the guys who won majors this year. Daniil Medvedev, Novak Djokovic, top 10 in both categories. Your top 15 club, Kasper Ruud and Alex Zverev think that makes sense given Rude's success at the 250 level this season, Zero success just broadly this season. You look top 20 club, Nadal has fallen into the top 20. And guess what? Given his form this year, that makes sense. 
He belongs in that top 20. He's been excellent, but he hasn't been the best of the best on a surface the way Djokovic or Medvedev have been. And so him top 20 club makes sense. He's next to Ivashka, who has replaced Karatsev as the outlier name, of course. I cheated to make it a top 26 club, but if you do that, you get Tsitsipas, you get Rublev, you get PCB, Pablo Carreno Busta in there as well. Makes sense that those are the nine guys all top 26 in hold and break percentage. Those have probably been the nine best players on the ATP, well, minus Ivashka, eight best players plus Ivashka, who's been that good of late on the ATP tour this season. But that's all of your tour-level action this week for the men, of course. As I mentioned, we've got five ATP challengers as well. Plenty of fun stuff to monitor. All week long, you look across the board. You've got the challenger in Orleans. We're top seed Ugo Umber. Knocked off in his first round, 7-6-6-4 by Quinton Halise. You look, number two seed Benjamin Bonzi, who has been so exceptional this year. Six ATP Challenger titles. He earned a 6-1-6-3 victory. He's now going to take on Henry Laxanen. You had an upset from Holger Rune, four in love. Over number seven seed Jill Simone. You've got Richard Gasquet in the field. Yuri Vesely in the field. Quarantine Moutet in the field. Number three seed Arthur Rindernesh, who escaped with a three-set win over the always dangerous, hard-hitting fellow Frenchman Antoine Huang in the first round. Pierre Hughes Herbert, your eight seed. This is, it says challenger. You could call this a 250. Call this whatever you want. This is a high-level event this week in Orleans, France. This is the one to follow most closely for sure. Luca Puy earned an impressive three-set win over Elias Emer in the first round. He's now going to take on Gasquet round number two. There's a lot to like, a lot to like about this draw in France. That's certainly the one I would follow most closely. But, of course, a lot of good stuff elsewhere in Spain. Carbeas Benia, your, your number one seed. He's going to take on Alex Rybakov, former TCU All-American, in the uh, second round. Talon Griekspor, your number two seed, your three seed for the week. Mark Pullman's knocked out by young American qualifier, former junior Australian Open finalist Emilio Nava in three sets. Your number four seed, uh, Mario Villa Martinez, also knocked out by the young Italian Falvio Cabali, who has advanced to the quarterfinals to take on Nicola Kuhn. You have Ramkumar Ramanathan. Your sixth seed has already been knocked out. Uh, I believe your fifth seed uh, may have withdrawn from the event, honestly, before it started. Oh, uh, no, Trungaliti, excuse me. He withdrew from the event after it started. He got a first-round win, then was forced to withdraw. But it's a fun event, certainly, in Spain. You look over in Portugal. Chagall, Diego Montiero looking to make it two titles in back-to-back weeks. He's your top seed. You have last week's finalist, Nikola Miljovic, advancing to the quarterfinals already as well. Fourth seed, Andre Martin, has advanced. You look up and down the board. My main man, Nuno Borges, former Mississippi State All-American maybe the most underrated player in college tennis of the 2010s. He's taken on Cedric Marcel-Steeb, although maybe everyone knows how good Nuno is now. But uh, that's a really fun second-round matchup. Your number two seed, Taro Daniel, already knocked out in his first-round match. Hugo Gaston, your three seed, he's still alive up and down the board. Again, should be a fun week of action in Lisbon. You've got two more in Romania, top seed, Stefano Travaglia, two seed, uh, Radu Elbot, second seed, Elbot already knocked out by Vitaly Sachko, who we've seen has 
so much success of late, but you look up and down the board. I see Tanasi Kokonakis in the board. I see last week's champion in Romana, Yuri Lachechka, who earned a first-round win. He's in the draw this week, as well as Denik Kolar, who's had a bunch of success this year at the Challenger Tour. He is the number five seed. He's in the draw. It's a fun, really just fun challenger action up and down the board. Of course, in Peru, top seed Francisco Serendolo knocked out in his first-round match by Matias Pusinelli de Almeida. Uh, that was a straight set win. That's a that's a tough loss for Surindolo. But the good news is his brother, who's also the two seed here this week. Shout out to the Surindolos. When was the last time brothers were top two seeds at an event? That will be the tweet for Enrico Riva to answer coming shortly. But expect that. Uh, that'll be fun now. So anyways... Stay on task here, Alex. Home stretch. He uh, is going to take out Gonzalo Lama, who knocked off last week's champ, Diego Tarante, in the first round. A lot of fun names across the board here. My birthday brother, Juan Pablo Varias, fourth seed. He earned a first round victory 6 1 before advancing with retirement. Camilo Carabelli, talented young uh, Argentinian in the draw. Daniel Altmaier, talented German in the draw. Should be a fun week of action over in Lima. And then finally, just quickly, four ITFs to keep an eye on here this week. We'll start with the 60K for the women happening in Berkeley. Really fun, really fun draw. Top seed, Sai Sai Zhang, your number two seed, Shin Yu Wang, who was a finalist last week in Columbus. You look, your number three seed, Pana Udvardi, your number four seed, Francesca Di Lorenzo, who was already knocked out in her first round match. You look at the players with college ties or just, you know, players we talk about here frequently. You've got NCAA champion Emma Navarro of Virginia. She ends up making the first round as a qualifier. She's going to take on Kiyoka Akamura in her first match. You've got Reese Brantmeyer, wild card, I believe, finalist this year in San Diego. Number th- uh, five seed, Katie Volinet, former San Diego champion. She's taking on Zach- uh, Zacharias in her first-round match. You've got Megan Manassi, former Cal standout, taking on Ellie Douglas. Danielle Lau taking on Sophie Chang. Jada Hart, shout-out to Jada Hart, near and dear friend of the show. She's taking on seven seed, Mayo Hibby. Vicky Duvall, wild card into the match uh, into the tournament. She's taking on Hiroki Kajia. Kayla Day, finalist last week. She's back in this special exemption after she makes that final in fourth work. Louisa Cherko, impressive three-set win, by the way, over Pana Uvardi in the first round. Again, I'm not going to list every name for you, but there's a lot of talent to monitor in Berkeley. A lot of college ties. Follow my main man, John Tweets Tennis, to follow all of the action closely. He'll have updates, I'm sure, daily. You'll see his retweets pop up in my feed. There's also, though, a 15K for the women in uh, happening this week in Lubbock. I mean, a bunch of fun names I see across the board. Adriana Riemi, Amy Zhu, um, looking up and down elsewhere. I mean, I again, I'm not going to go on a name. Kylie Collins, obviously McCartney Kessler, Ravina Kingsley, I see. Shout out to Ravina Kingsley. Where has she been of late? That, anyways, um, yeah, a lot of fun names. Oh, Francesca, uh, Fernanda Labrana, of course, another one of the Texas standouts. Just a lot of talent up and down the board in this event this week in Lubbock. So that's another one to keep in mind, of course. You've got the, uh, the action happening for the men in Lubbock this week as well. You've got guys like Jacob Brum for Baylor. Uh, you've got, let's see, Garrett Johns, Duke, who knocked off uh, Nate Pond with the first round here. You've got Chad Kissel. Shout out to Chad Kissel, who was at the Lotto Elite Pro Tennis Challenge in Pennsylvania earlier this year. He's taken on Omni Kumar. You look up and down the draw. Keegan Smith, who I know Pars is covering that story closely, but Keegan obviously split his head open in a skateboarding accident uh, a couple of months ago to see him back on court at all, but to earn a 4-4 four and four win in his first round match speaks to Keegan being Keegan, the guy just 
oozing with talent. Tyler Zink transferred to Oklahoma State. He gets a three-set win as well. You look elsewhere. Cannon Kingsley, your number eight seed. I see Sven La in the draw. He's taken on number three seed uh, Thomas Fan said in his first round. Ozan Kolak gets the junior reserve spot in the draw. Ryan Shane uh, advances by withdrawal. He's going to take on the winner of Baylor's Charlie Broom and Florida's former Florida standout at number two seed Sekou Bangura. That's the action in Lubbock. Just some other names to moniker, monitor in Cancun. I see Emil Reinberg, former Georgia standout. I see Michael Zhu, shout out Michigan. Dusty Boyer, shout out Badgers. I think Giles Hussey in the draw. Alfredo Perez, Colin Marks, Christian Langmo, Mate, Spe, uh, Mate Speech, Spech, Speck, Mate Speck, Speck, I want to say is how you say it. Out there, I see Victor Lilov, an impressive straight set win over Dolly Blanche. Alex Bernard in the draw. Strong Kirkheimer in the draw as well. Fun ITF action, as always, happening this week, so we'll keep an eye on those results all week long. But that's what's going down this week on the ATP and WTA Tours. Keep your eyes on Chicago if you're monitoring that race to the year-end finals. Of course, the still fun event in North Sultan, in San Diego, in Sofia, and across the professional tennis world. And again, we're going to be on press row in San Diego this week, hoping to get on Sandy, uh, in press row in Sofia later on in the week. We'll see what we can do about Chicago as well. But, of course, you can find all of those from the presser segments on our Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Be sure to check out the Great Shot podcast feed as well. We're having some fun this week. We had Steve Weissman to talk about Laver Cup. We had Damien Kust, Jakob Bobro to talk about the ATP Challengers. And then today, I broke down the history of teenage success on the WTA Tour. You're going to be able to see a corresponding video on our YouTube channel coming soon as well. So be on the lookout for all of that content. And of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to each of the shows. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. I shout out as always to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Wasta for the of an editing job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends over at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for Super Producers Fligner and Westoff, for our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.